The review podcast. Yeah. Okay, okay. You're going to hear me opening up my notebook. Yes, she's opening up her notes. She took notes this time. I know. Alert the press. Alert the press. She took the notes because we didn't do it last time. And and that was regret. Regret. (laughs) Yeah. Um, welcome to the Review Podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm Bree. And this is a podcast in which we review movies. We pick a movie we've each seen at least one time and watch it and talk about it and review it. Yeah. He skipped over the part where I said review. He's what? A, he's a meanie. So when what you did say, I do? You usually say, this is a podcast in which we review movies. And then I say, and then we review movies. And you just oh, talk. Oh, bulldoze you? Yes, you bulldoze oh, right over me. I didn't even typical, realize. Typical man thing to do. Listen. Boo, boo, typical, boo. Uh, uh, hey, we <laughs> we respect women on this podcast. This is a very, uh, fe- uh, this is a female empowerment movie. Is it? Or is it? I don't know. Because like all of the characters are simply unlikable. Yes. So is it an empowerment movie? Though I would argue that... Meryl Streep's character isn't unlikable. No, I don't. Well, we watched the office clip of Michael having just watched bits and pieces of The Devil Wears Prada, and he keeps treating Pam poorly like Meryl Streep does to Aunt Hathaway's character. And then once he finishes it, he's like, I am so sorry. He's like, turns out Meryl Streep was the bad guy. And we had, a, we had an honest conversation about this. I was like, I don't think she's the bad guy. I don't think this movie has a bad guy. No, yeah. Well, I walked away from this movie and I really told Brie, I'm like, well, every character just is unlikable in their own way. But I don't necessarily think that there's an antagonist. The antagonist is just like life. (laughs) I think it's also society's expectations or like their expectations. So I'm going to get into I'm, I'm getting straight to the poop. Um, the real poop. The real poop. Um, I think it was just two people with two different priorities. One person who prioritizes their job, and other one who prioritizes like their social life and their like personal life. I don't think there's a wrong prioritize way. Like some people do prioritize their work. Well, like we were, we were they're talking... all about work, and we talked about this, mm-hmm. and it's like. We prioritize each other, but, like, we're also, like, two very work-oriented people. If I was in... What's his name from Entourage? The boyfriend. He also plays Vincent Chase. Nate. Well, that's not his... That's his name in the movie, but not yes. the... Adrian <laughs> Grenier. Um, if I was, like, his character, and we talked about this, that if you... Ha- I understood the inner workings of your job, who you work for, what this person is like... First of all, I am on board. I'd probably tell you to quit. But then if you were insistent upon, like uh, Andy is in the movie, insistent upon, like, uh, it's going to help me get ahead. And, like, I just have to, like, grin and bear it for a year or two, and then I can work wherever I want. I feel like I would be a little bit more understanding at that point that it's like, okay, this is a year. And, um, you know, I'm not going to have Bree's full attention all the time. And, you know, I am a, I, I, really, get, I get mad sometimes. Oh, so like, okay. We already run into kind of this problem in our real life because when the school year starts up, I usually do, I teach, I do after school and I go to the gym. So it's like, 
I don't. I come home at like six thirty, seven o'clock. I I enjoy and, quality time, and he enjoys quality time. And like, I get home at seven o'clock, and I'm like, I want to eat and go to bed. Like, <laughs> and it's hard for us because. Well, you know, the school year is going to start up again. I'm going to want to make extra money. I'm going to want to work after school. Didn't I was unable to work after school last year because I was, you know, in the midst of my master's degree. So this year, it's like a lot of extra money if you like really think about it. Mm -hmm. Because you work like four days, an extra like hour and a half after school. Like I would be, I'm making money. And it's like, adds up to like a a couple hundred dollars a paycheck, which is like really nice. But it's like, I would get out at like 4.30. When we were in lockdown a couple years ago. And I, you know, we all handled the pan the the inner workings of the pandemic and like the re- like when everybody was in lockdown differently yes and i played the entire batman arkham series relentlessly got all the riddler trophies and all that bs oh my god she just <laughs> she drank out of her water bottle and it like splurted everywhere <laughs> Keep going. oh my god um <laughs> Anyway, we all handled that differently. Like mine was like play video games, you know, relax a little bit. And then Breeze was, I need to get out of the apartment like as much as possible. So I, you would go I, on runs and you'd be gone for like four hours at a time. So I used to go running and then I'd run like a, a mile and a half to like this track by the high school. And it was open and like no one was there. And we get... I'd get to the track and I'd do exercises and then I'd run the track a couple of laps and then I'd run the mile and a half back home. And so it would be like three, four hours because I also like my friend would drive over to hang out with me and we do it together. And it was like my, my isolation pod. She lived by herself and she wasn't like visiting anyone else. So it was like me, her and Anthony, like that was my close group of, the only people we saw during lockdown at all. Lockdown. Lockdown. <laughs> but I made it a point. I was like, you know, she lives by herself. She's not going anywhere. I'm like, we live together. I'm like, she's included in my pod of people I'm going to see during this well, sure. time. And I, I really, I just needed a friend during that time. But there was also times where on days I didn't hang out with her, I was also going on like two hour runs. Yeah, you'd be gone for a long time. And then I'd just be like, well... I'm bored and I want to hang out with you. And I think it was really hard to like express my need for like, I can't sit down in an apartment all day and watch you play video games or watch TV. Cause it was just, it's so boring. It was, it was, we were like super repetitive during that time where it was like, we would watch ghost adventures. We would take a nap and then we'd watch more ghost adventures. We'd shift over to like one piece or something. And it would just be like, marinating on the couch for the entire day so like my only because we couldn't go we could, well we couldn't go out anywhere and it was weird it was a weird time and like my only thing that we really could do was like go outside and run and like walk and anthony he doesn't like to work out like now he's going to the gym with me but like he didn't want to go on walks with me 
He didn't want to, like, of course, if he doesn't want to go out and walk. You left me alone one day, and I drank an entire pot of coffee. And, and he almost had a heart attack. And I was like, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. Why'd you let me do this? Oh, no, there was, like, one point, like, my calves have had hardened because I was running, like, every day, like, three, four miles a day, and my calves hardened, and it hurt to walk, but I still went running, and that was, like, probably, I just needed to take a break because I never took a break. I went every day consistently, and I was, like, you know, like, I need to take a break, but if I take a break, then, like, I'm going to be in this house, and I'm going to be, like, going crazy. And keep in mind, at that time, like, we didn't have a house. No, we, we just had an apartment. Had, we had a one-bedroom apartment, and it got a little uh, claustrophobic at times. It's like, I could, there was, I love Anthony. Like, we, we recognize that, like, we're getting married, so obviously, like, we love each other. Duh. And I, All right. and I love, <laughs> and I love spending time with Anthony, but I was, I feel like there's, like, that need for, like, independence and, like. You can't be with somebody 24 hours a day, every day, and expect to, you know, not have an argument or two. I don't think we, we argued. We didn't, well, we didn't really, we don't really argue No, all that the much. argument, it wasn't even an argument. It was Anthony expressing was his needs. He's like, I need more time with you. And I was like, and I need you to understand my need to get out and go somewhere so we like had a happy medium it was like can you make sure that like your daytime you do this well, and, and then, then you're back uh, by the evening so we can spend the evening together yeah and that's just part of having open communication in a relationship where you feel comfortable with your partner in talking about that calmly it doesn't have to be a screaming match it doesn't have to be an argument but i think and is it wrong to say that relationships in the communication aspect is about compromise. No, because like compromise is like we're meeting each other in the middle where we should both where, be meeting each other's needs fully. Where it was just like, I understand your need to hang out. Maybe I will schedule my workouts for earlier in the morning so you can sleep in because Anthony at this time loved to sleep in. So he gets to sleep in. I wake up early. I get my run out of the way. So I did all my exercise, got out of the house all morning. And then so when the afternoon hit, it was like, this was our time to spend together. Mm -hmm. And then we even made dinner together. So that was more time spent together. And I feel like relationships are a lot of like, you have to be an adult. You have to talk through like, how can I get my needs met by you? How can you get your needs met by me? I'm like going to sneeze. My eyes are watering. <laughs> do it. Do it. No. Sneeze. It went away. Okay. Achoo. <laughs> but I think we handled lockdown really well and we came out like still together my only regret about lockdown is nothing that has to do with our relationship or how we communicated or how we grew closer or whatever my regret on lockdown is not indulging in hobbies during that time when it was like that was the time to indulge in hobbies because it was a matter of well i just sat and played video games and watched tv and listened to podcasts the entire time when right after lockdown, when we moved into the house and things were starting to pick up again, that's when I started streaming on Twitch. That's when we started doing the podcast. And it's like we could have done all this stuff and had much more time for it in that almost year time that 
we were quarantined. I don't know. I, I got a TikTok during that time, and that was like a hobby of mine. Got 50K followers, and then I was like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. Is it nice to, like, grow a social media following? Sure. Do I want to be famous? Absolutely not. Yeah. That, well, yes, because... There's a lot of responsibility, I think, that comes with having a large following like that. I don't... Like, I didn't want... It was like people were pressuring me to do captions. And that was before TikTok had automated captions where they do the captioning for you. And I had to, like, explain to people. I'm like, I have, like, ADD. I can't... I can't do it. I'm like, I, I would have to listen to every single part of my video I and caption it by hand. And it's just, it's just too much. I'm like, I'm sorry. I like, I can't. And like, you feel bad because I want to be inclusive. I want to, to be there for the, like the hard of hearing community, people who actually need that. But like me personally, I could not. And I think that's when my videos started to like not show up very much. And like, I started to not do it. It was like, once people started asking things of me. I was like, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I was like, men, like my mental health, like. Well, you want to do what you want to do. And it's like, like when I didn't do this people, for fame. I did this because I, I wanted to. I thought it was are like, funny. We want more of this content and we want more of this content. It's like, I don't, I don't care what you want. Like, I want to make my content. And that's how we've kind of positioned the podcast where it's a matter of. If somebody tells us, like, hey, you should do this movie, it's like, yeah, we'll take it into consideration. But ultimately, this is, we're going to watch the movies that we want to watch and talk about what we want to talk about. Right? Like, I have and, no interest watching. And if watching. you're interested, like, stay on board. If you're not interested, you know, there's probably a million other movie podcasts out there. Right? I'm like, I if you were like, you should review Lincoln. I'd be like, I saw that once I would, and that was I, enough. Yeah, I don't know if I would watch that movie was the long AF. totality of Lincoln. Okay, I have a story. Go ahead. The first time I ever saw Lincoln, the only time I ever saw Lincoln, was an extra credit option where my whole class went after school. To the movies? To the movies. You sat in a movie theater and watched Lincoln? Yes. Ugh. With everyone else in my... And I love the, I love Civil War. That was I love history. My but, honors, oh my gosh, in movie form. Ugh. Honors U.S. history yeah. in high school. I didn't do AP U.S. history because I was doing... At the same time, I was doing AP Psych. And I... And <laughs> it's tough. Well, I'm an AP teacher. It's really... That's something well, that we've talked about where it's school, like the... The kids were taking like five AP classes at once and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm talking to some of the other AP teachers and we're saying, look, this is too much for the kids. You can't fully give, like the AP is so much intense studying, test prep, work. You can't do five of them in whole ass, all five. Well, you also And think, that's going to make everything else You have to think suffer. about like they're supposed to mimic college courses and like a college course you take like either one day a week or twice a week you don't take five days a week Mm -hmm. you know what i mean also mine was not because i couldn't handle it It was because um it costs your school covers their the test costs my school didn't you had to pay it yourself it was like a hundred 
bucks to take the class, like to take the but test. Were you, was, was it required that you had to take the test if you took the AP class? But like, why would you take the AP class if you weren't going to take the test? I don't know. So that's like, <laughs> like good, good question. Um, and I was on, like, I would, I got a scholarship, but it only covered one test. Mm-hmm. So every year I had to pick one AP class because I was on scholarship and I could only do one test in reality with the ap courses it's you should only be taking one or two because then you can give your full attention and your full you know ass to all of it instead of giving one fifth one fifth one fifth one fifth of your attention to everything else it's just too much and i'm happy that my school is like changing that and now we're encouraging kids to only take like a select few AP courses. So it's, I think the schedule this year, the way I looked at it, there's not many kids that are taking more than like two. And it's special occasions when kids take more than two. Um, It's something where it was like the student or the parent may have been insistent on taking this. And with AP, you can't tell kids they can't take the AP class. Um, they can drop <laughs> later on, which is something that I, you know, as the school year is beginning and we're starting to change these these things with our school, I can foresee some kids dropping their AP courses in the first few weeks because right now it's, uh, how do I want to word this? It's, that the kids, especially if they haven't taken an AP class in the past, don't understand the expectations of the AP course. They sign up for it because it's the highest one. It's the most prestigious or whatever. Um, I mean, I gotta say though, my the most fun I had was my senior year because we didn't have to take science for four years, but I had the ability to take science for I wasn't going to take three electives. I was already taking like... I took Italian, I took choir, I took art. I wasn't about to take like another fun course. Actually, no, I did photography. Yeah, photography my senior year, which was a bunch of fun. Like you, my your senior year to be fun. So I could have taken like I took a uh, AP class my AP English my senior year, but I didn't want to take. For science, there's only AP courses and regular courses. There was no honors course. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I want to take a science class, but I don't want to take AP bio. Like, I don't want to do it. I was like, I don't think I would have fun. I don't think, like, it would be, like, a nice class to take. So I took regular bio. And I felt like Albert Einstein <laughs> in that class. <laughs> I, I really did I feel like Albert Einstein in that class. Um, we One day we watched um, Futurama. Nice. Um, Which episode do you remember? It was the one where he... Uh, what was uh, I think it was like the first one. The first episode? The pilot? Maybe. I don't remember what it was. But I remember one day we were just watching Futurama. Because like... It was, we already took the final and we were just still oh, there. Oh yeah, I've, I've done that with my classes before when it's like, in my first year when I taught um, religion one, it's like intro to Catholic Christianity, 
there's not a lot of content and it's a one semester course. There's not a lot of content in there. So I finished everything up with like two weeks to spare until we had to start reviewing for finals. So I just put on Indiana Jones. Well, we took took (laughs) the final, like the the last day of class. So then when it was like our final time for that class, we still had to come to school. Yeah. But he just put on a movie Mm -hmm. or like a TV show. Yeah. That's what I did too. Um, he was pretty cool. He was also the guy who did AP Bio. And he kind of called me out and was like, why aren't you taking AP Bio? And I was like, because, like, I, I, it's hard to explain to teachers, like, you can't afford to take a class. Because you always have the option to not take the, the, the test, but take the final. And I'm like, but I, what would be the point of taking the class if not to take the, the test? I was like, I'd rather not take the class, not stress myself out if I can't take the test. We had a couple kids this past year when we were trying to get, like, the sophomores and juniors to sign up for AP courses that I thought some of these kids, because I teach the AP government class, I thought some of the juniors that I had known and, you know, were doing very well in AP US should have signed up for politics. But it was like, it's, it's a matter of, like, Myself and other teachers telling the kids, I think you're going to do really well in this class and you're going to do really well on the test. But them saying, well, I just don't want to do it. And if that's their decision, sure, whatever. But it's a little disappointing when, it, as a teacher, when you can see potential in students and you can see like, oh, you're going to be like really successful in this if you did it and if you tried. And then they just say, no, I don't want to do it. Has a problem with only offering an AP class to seniors. Well, we do for juniors, too. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, I, where I went to high school, like, they you, never they never your, told... Your, that district is, like, the standard right now for you never, AP. You never told... Like, if a senior... Like, if a freshman wanted to take an AP class... That's like a no. But if a soft starting sophomore year, you could take any AP class you mm-hmm. wanted. A soft a sophomore could take AP Psych, and usually AP Psych is a lot of seniors. Um, usually the sophomores like that's when you get AP English starts up, like stuff like that. So, like you're never told no. Like, can you encourage students to wait? Yes. Yes. They'll you can. they'll look at your like like what classes you're taking. So me as a freshman taking all honors courses went to, into sophomore year and said I'd like to take this AP class, and they're like, well, AP is really hard. It's like, but you're doing really you did really you got straight A's in all your freshman like honors courses, so we think you can handle this. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. But there was like a girl in that class that was a senior in a group my my honors class of freshmen was all super nerds so like we're all we all took uh, the first ap class we could possibly take our nerds well you know i was one of those people and shout out to the teacher i had for um ap european history because my that's my first ap class i ever took where he would get extremely mad at me because I would whisper the correct answer to my friend and she would raise her hand and answer. And he was like, he held me back one time. He's like, you need to raise your hand. I was like, I don't like to be wrong. 
And he's like, but every answer you whisper to insert friend's name is correct. Mm-hmm. And you're letting her get it correct. I'm like, yeah, but like, I just like, I have real bad anxiety about like you telling me I'm wrong about something. He's like, but you really know your stuff. I'll never forget the whole class got accused of plagiarism because we all had a misconception about a vocabulary term. So we all wrote a paper with that same misconception about what a vocabulary term was. So he insisted we all must have plagiarized when really we all just didn't know the definition of something. So we asked each other and we all had a misconception about the definition. I've been there before where I've struggled with as a teacher trying to figure out if students plagiarized or they worked together on a homework assignment. So he, it was a essay where we all wrote our own. No one plagiarized anyone. We all wrote our own essay, but we had a Facebook group and the essay was about mercantilism. Mm-hmm. And we forgot what mercantilism was. And this is before like Google was a huge thing where like you could Google mercantilism and it would tell you exactly what you needed to know. This okay. is very early internet. This is pre when everyone had uh, iPhones. This was slidey phones still. This is like the end of the... 2000, sl- what, 11? Yeah, like very early. Yeah, 2011. Yeah, it's, internet's a big thing. But not point. like as advanced as it is now with as many resources. I suppose. And even if you Googled mercantilism, like it really didn't explain it well enough for people to understand what mercantilism was. So we posted in the Facebook group, this is what we think mercantilism is. Okay. And then everyone was like, used the same definition of mercantilism and wrote this paper with different examples, different data sources, different things to back it up. But we were all like wrong because we all had the same definition of mercantilism. So he assumed that everyone plagiarized. I think that your teacher was right to make that assumption. I would have probably led myself down the same rabbit hole. Even if everyone's paper was different? I, no. I, well, no. If everyone's paper was different, I would try to look for patterns at that point. Where the pattern would be everybody is saying the same thing about this one thing. But the whole paper was about mercantilism. And it's wrong. And we all had the wrong definition, but we all had different examples. Because we had like a packet of like, it was document-based like essay mm-hmm. so we we had like like 13 documents very familiar with and you, only, and you only had to pick three so everyone picked different documents but we all used the wrong definition to analyze the documents and but the definition wasn't anywhere in the documents or in the background essay or something no we totally forgot what mercantilism was why don't you just ask your teacher because it was a homework assignment interesting I don't know. I probably would have been led down the same path as your teacher. If I'm going to be completely so honest, I think to, that's a fair assumption. We had to, to ha- we had to like schedule meetings with him and like go yeah, in. And yeah. I went in and I was like, here's what happened. I was like, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Everyone forgot what mercantilism was. So we asked each other what mercantilism was. And like one person went on the internet and found a definition and, I was like, and told everyone. And so we all used the wrong definition of mercantilism to write our essay. I was like, I did this essay by myself. I was like, I didn't like look at anybody else's paper. I was like, but I had, I did not understand what mercantilism was. So I will take the bad grade, but I did not plagiarize. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I didn't think you plagiarized. He's like, thank you for being honest. I was like, yeah. It's like, 
he's like y'all should probably delete the facebook group we, did, <laughs> we didn't we did we didn't i don't know i think it's kind of it, there's a as a high school teacher i'll say this there's a fine line and it's kind of a gray line between students helping each other and working together on an assignment and plagiarism so I guess it's all subjective in terms of like what teachers count as plagiarism. I think when kids work together, it's smart. And I, I know that that happens a lot. You know, when I was in high school, when I took honors chemistry, none of us knew what the hell was going on in that class. And we had found from years past people on a flash drive got the answers to the test. Like we had the tests. And the teacher did not change the test very much. So we all figured it out. And we knew that there was going to be a test A and a test B because he wanted to curb cheating. So you study, you know, the PDF file of the test that gets passed down and hope that that's the test you get. So one time the uh, kids that had test A, like all got perfect scores. And so the teacher was like, y'all cheated. Like some, something happened, you cheated. The people that had test B did not have perfect scores. And so he said, everybody that had test A, you're coming in after school and you're retaking the test. I was lucky I had test B. <laughs> and that were the question, some of the questions were similar to the stuff that we I had mean, passed like, down. But you purposely get one or two answers wrong, you idiots. idiots. I know, you idiots. <laughs> Come on, you idiots! That's to, not how you cheat properly. And I here I am as here am I as, here I am as a teacher, saying, I live under the assumption work smarter, not harder. In the business world, you can use notes. In the real world, you can use notes. You're not doing anything blindly. As a teacher, I have reference books when I am teaching. I don't have to be 100% right about everything all the time. And kids will ask me questions, especially about animals, that I'm like, I don't know the answer. Let me I, Google it. I have gotten so good with the content in my classes that like, I don't need references anymore because I've been doing it so much in the past few years that it's like, dude, I can tell you like these Supreme Court cases off the in the background and everything off of the top of my head like i don't need a reference page i don't need a note sheet that says like shank v us is about this or whatever i just like at this point i can just recite it mine's a little bit different well you teach on a um like a set like uh scripted curriculum i know but sometimes kids will have questions about things that are not something that's in the curriculum not What's something your favorite I'm, color like not something that i'm knowledgeable about like Miss uh Miss B, um what why do this animal have this thing? Like I don't know. Wanna Google the it? The medulla oblongata. I'm like, let's Google it. Or <laughs> um, I think alligators so Miss B, how many teeth does an alligator have? I don't know that <laughs> off the top of my head. Alligators so angry because they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. <laughs> and and like kids will ask me questions like that and i'm like i don't know let me just like google it like what's the harm i was like i am not an encyclopedia infinite knowledge yeah uh so well, i have to tell the students that sometimes too when they ask me like stuff like about politics and it's like well why is this happening but this is all i'm like i don't know i'm not a politician probably some shady stuff <laughs> so i just you know Let's get into what we're okay, here for. Okay, yeah, we're about a half hour in and we've just touched the surface on 
our movie today. So, Brie, what are we watching today? We're watching The Devil Wears Prada. Um, do you remember the first time you've seen this movie? No. No? I was probably, like, teenager. This is my first time watching Loser. the movie. Sorry. <laughs> Did you read the book? No. Interesting. Um, this was well, pre- you're, I, I, I took you as a reader, Brie. I took you as a reader. <laughs> you know I only read romance novels. <laughs> There's no romance in this book. Um, so, the uh, okay, I, I did a little tiny bit of background research. He did research. some background research. This is my first time seeing the movie. I en- What did you think? Did you, did I you love enjoy this it? movie, I do. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, honestly. Um, okay, so The Devil Wears... Prada is released in 2006, uh, directed by David Frankel, and based on the book The Devil Wears Prada by Lauren Weisenberg. The Devil Wears Prada, the book, sold about a million copies, is on the New York Times bestseller list for like six months, is translated into like a bunch of different languages, and is like this super duper big hit. So we make a movie out of it, and a lot of People like read The Devil Wears Prada and those who work in the fashion world have said this is like a very spot on portrayal of the politics of the fashion industry. Um, just similarly to how people watched Veep and were like people in Washington as they watched Veep were like, this is probably the closest that we get to how Washington actually works. So, The Devil Wears Prada um, stars, obviously, Meryl Streep, which is why we're reviewing it. We're part of the Meryl series. Meryl Streep plays um, a very scary, scary, um, ex- like, big wig, like, at a fashion magazine, runway magazine. Um, we have Anne Hathaway playing our lead character. And she plays an insufferable assistant. Who thinks she's better than everybody else. Played character named Andy, who is in the game of being the assistant only because this is a stepping stool. Uh, what is, that is the phrase, right? Stepping stool to... Stepping stone. Stepping, <laughs> stepping stool. Um, it's a stepping stone towards... What she actually wants to do. What she actually wants to do, which is journalism. Um, so she like reluctantly applies for this job. She doesn't really care about the fashion industry. She doesn't even know who Miranda Priestly is. Yeah. We also have Emily Blunt. This is kind of Emily Blunt's breakout role. She hasn't really gotten a lot of like big roles in the past, but um, this is the thing that kind of elevates her into getting more stuff into the future. We have Stanley Tucci, who is awesome in everything he's in. Um, he plays like he plays like the same character. He really does because <laughs> I would say his character in The Hunger Games is like the same. Well, his character in like Easy A is also kind of similar. He plays to, like, to what he plays in this. He plays like always like a metrosexual, like... except for one movie that I can think of Stanley Tucci being in, where he plays a complete opposite of his normal character, which is the Lovely Bones. Oh, that was a scary movie. Yeah, that oh, that movie is wild. Um, or the, uh, did you read the book? No. I read the book. The book is wild too. Um, Stanley Tucci in that movie plays like the guy who assaults and murders this child. And that's like completely derailed from Stanley Tucci's normal, like charismatic, like metrosexual, whatever. But he's a little creepy in that movie. 
we love Stanley Tucci. I would agree. Um, love Stanley Tucci. We have Adrian Grenier also played Vincent Chase in Entourage, playing um, Anne Hathaway's boyfriend, Nate, mm-hmm. in the movie. He's also in Soft Football. So, I, I told you this, like, when we saw, like, the supporting cast of this movie as we're introduced to our characters. I was like, oh, Adrian Grenier. Uh, that's Vincent Chase. Entourage. He's in Entourage. And then I said... This movie has a lot of actors that were, like, really popular in the mid-2000s and then aren't in, like, anything anymore today. Because there's a dude from the show, uh, you ever hear the show that was on FX with Dennis Leary? It was about the firefighters in New York called Rescue Me. It's an actor, I can't remember the dude's name, um, plays Holt, James Holt, in this movie. He was in, like, a bunch of stuff in the mid-2000s looked like he was getting some breakout stuff and then like disappeared off the earth. Um, Adrian Grenier is kind of the same. He had like pretty big success with Entourage and having a starring role in that show was in like a bunch of things in the mid two thousands and then did the Entourage movie in 2015, I believe. And I haven't seen him since like he just fell off the face of the earth. So sometimes that happens and this movie I think is a symptom. I think we get that a lot with, some of these movies that cast actors that are in the now, like popular now, who would you, if you can name anybody in 2022 that is, might have the same kind of career trajectory that's like popular now, but might not be popular in 10 years. Who would you say? If you can name anybody. If I can name anyone. Yeah. Where I feel like who's really popular. Who's getting like a lot of, roles now but that it, might fall off in 10 years i don't know we're like overly saturated with margot robbie right now margot robbie's in like everything yeah i think point. and but i don't know if margot ex- robbie's gonna fall off but we say the same thing about jennifer lawrence jennifer lawrence like five years ago was getting everything yeah now she is in like maybe one movie we did talk about this didn't we, we like did. a few weeks ago we did that jennifer lawrence was one that she was like a she burned Big bright. Actress. She burned bright. She was in everything, mm-hmm. and now she's like in one ish movie a year. Um, like, but I feel like some actors are like that. Like Robert Pattinson was like that. He was in like a yeah, ton of a stuff good, that, all at that's once. That's a really good. And comparison. then he does like one or two projects a year. Where I think it's like I'm gonna do one big movie. I'm gonna make all my money, and then I'm gonna do what I want. Mm-hmm. That was, if I was ever famous, I would. That's what I would do. I would do a big budget like Marvel movie once. If I were to call, and then just be done. If I were to call any actor that would have had, and did, proved me wrong, I guess because it's still like super popular today as they were maybe ten years ago. Um, I would have said Aunt Adam Driver, like Burn Bright. But Adam Driver has continued to have like a decent amount of roles and success and. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But it's interesting to to look at it that way. It's not that the actors are bad. No, it's just like sometimes an actor becomes so popular that they're booked continuously. Yeah. And then they're but gonna... then all of a sudden there's this like drought that they have. I don't know. I think we're going to see like a rise within the next like 10-ish years of Zendaya being booked in like everything. And then after like 10 years, she's going to be... Like one or two movies. I feel like we're getting. I feel like we're right now we're getting an oversaturation of Chris Pratt too. Oh, I hope he burns out. And I, I 
I don't want to wish anything bad on anybody, but I feel like the Chris Pratt renaissance is going to slow down significantly, like post Guardians of the Galaxy next year. Um, anyway, I don't think he'll after his movie deal is done with Marvel. I don't think they're going to put him in anything else. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they're going to renew his contract because he says some pretty problematic things. He belongs to a pretty problematic organization. And, you know, there's consequences for things like that. Well, they have to honor their contract with you because they paid you a multi-movie deal. But I don't think they're going to put you anything else. They're Mm -hmm. probably going to, like... Can we say maybe Cole Sprouse? Kind of like a... He he had, like, a bunch of success with, like, Riverdale and was, like, in a couple of movies and everything. But then... I don't want to say fizzled out. That makes it sound real bad because like Cole Sprouse is not a bad actor. Uh, maybe like uh, Nat Wolf. That's a good one. That, But he was like recently in something, wasn't he? But he burned bright for a while. That doesn't mean they're not getting work anymore. Yeah. It means like they're but not there, doing there was as a, much. There was a time period where like Nat Wolf was in, I get the Wolf Brothers confused, but wasn't he in like Death Note? He was in um, the Paper Towns I always forget. Hereditary. I forget which. Are these the same wolf brothers? The wolf brothers, one has a mole, one doesn't have a mole. I'm trying to think of the one with the mole, right? That's not Nat. That's not Nat? No. Okay, then I'm way off. Right? I mean, (laughs) I got to look this up. I I don't believe that Nat has a mole. I think I was obsessed with Nat Wolf when I was younger because I loved the Naked Brothers band. Mm hmm. Yeah. When they started popping up in movies like the wolf brother i was like oh they're the naked brothers band like that's what that we wolf when we was kids. the one in paper towns death note the fault in our stars okay um and alex wolf was, was in hereditary he is the one with the mole he was in he hereditary. was in hereditary yeah. and my friend Dahmer and like old old okay jumanji okay so like are we in an alex wolf renaissance <laughs> I mean, both Wolf Brothers, like, they did, like, they do a good amount of work. It's just, like, you don't see them as often. But when you they're in something, you're like, oh, my, that's a Wolf Brother. I know that. Now, no, you but know, that's how I Alex felt- Wolf is the one with the mole. Yeah. And he's younger than Nat Wolf, who's a little bit older. Do you think we're, uh, I'm thinking of, like, Florence Pugh, maybe? Yeah, she's- But, like, we're, like, she's popping up in everything recently. And I hope we don't get, like a drought of Florence because she's so good. She's so good in everything that she's in. Dare I say Harry Styles? Uh, Maybe. He's maybe getting more. In, he's he's getting, getting more acting roles recently, though. Yes. So maybe we're entering a Harry Styles as an actor renaissance more than a musician. Though he's a great musician, though. Yeah, I agree. Because he's, you know, what makes him attractive? He's confident in his sexuality enough to like not care about wearing skirts and dresses and dressing more feminine and women find that really attractive i hate to tell like the the dude bros this but like women find comfort like comfortability in your own sexuality enough to dress more carefree attractive that's why men with nail polish are more attractive nowadays men who wear makeup it's fine i went to an all boys high school well it was all boys when i went there it's co-ed now but one of our in my senior year in our we took social justice was like a required course it was technically like a religion course but it was social justice and 
our teacher made us write an essay. It was like a yearly thing. The teacher was kind of known for this. It was called the manhood essay. And the overarching question was, what does it mean to be a man? And you had to come up with like some resources, like a thesis, whatever, write an essay. And it allows for a lot of like introspection when we talk about that stuff, especially nowadays where the definition of what it means to be a man, not necessarily biologically, but uh, reflectively, I, I don't know how I want to, ideologically, um, I think that definition has changed now more so than it, I, what do I, how do I want to word this? It's changed and isn't the same thing that it was 20 years ago, where 20 years ago you might have had being a man is, uh, you know, very, the very stereotypical what you might uh, find as, what what do they say, hyper-masculinity or ultra-masculinity? Hyper-masculinity. Hyper-masculinity. Um, whereas now I think our definition of what it means to be a man is like, you need to be comfortable with your emotions. You need to be comfortable with your sexuality. You need to be open with people. You need to be communicative. You need to be vulnerable a little bit. I just think... Reflective. Women have... Because we we now, like, we work our own jobs. We make our own money. We can own our own homes. It's like we're no longer interested in that, like, provider mindset of the mm -hmm. past. Because, like, we can make money on our own. We can live by ourselves. We don't need you. Yeah. And it's like what I find attractive in another person is I don't want to be this man's mom. Right. Like, I'm not mommy. I'm not making you lunches. Like, make yourself a damn lunch. <laughs> I'm not doing your laundry. Do your own damn laundry. I'm not mm -hmm. wiping your ass. Wipe your own damn ass. Only ass we wipe is the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because he's my baby. But I, I saw this TikTok. It's not to get off topic further. Oh, my God. We haven't even touched the I movie know, yet. <laughs> not to get further off topic. But I saw this TikTok and this man's like, can we bring back... Um, women who make their husbands lunch and this other guy like stitched it which was like show the video first and then he says and this guy goes can we bring back mommy i want mommy <laughs> can we bring back mommy <laughs> and it's like yes this is some men literally want a woman who cooks cleans and like wipes their butt for them mm -hmm. i want a partner i want someone who does half the work I don't want to be with someone who expects me to do the cleaning, the cooking. Well, because and stuff, this isn't the because 1950s that's the, anymore. That's what a woman does. I'm looking for if we have a kid that he's going to get up in the middle of the night as often as I get up in the middle of the night. And it's not just going to be, it's your job because you're the woman. It's your job because you're on maternity leave and I still have to go to work. It's there's, like, there's a really no, interesting. This is a baby we both created. Yeah. You're getting up half the time with me just because I'm on maternity leave. Doesn't mean I'm not freaking exhausted. Yeah. There, there's a really interesting history and I've, uh, talked with a lot of my students about this because I do with the politics kids in the honors class. I do, um, like a quarter research essay, political topic, political history, something. And one girl, one year wanted to do, um, like the, different cha changes in gender roles throughout history it's like somewhat of a political topic i let her do it um because it's interesting it's interesting to look at the history of gender roles 
and how like in the 1930s and 40s with World War II and all the men were out in war while the women had to go in the factories and work and work in manufacturing and things like that. So you have propaganda like Rosie the Riveter saying like women get to work and everything. And then when the men come home, well, what happens to the women? We go right back to the women are the homemakers and everything. They're not independent working anymore. They're back in the home because the men are back working. So in the 1950s, we get like that leave it to beaver type uh, nuclear family uh, where the woman is the homemaker, stay at home wife, man goes to work, uh, comes home to a cooked dinner and a clean house and mom takes care of the kids and everything. But we can't do that anymore. Because we like because of inflation, it, it was, because it was, of it was the 80s, it was the Reagan era, but we can't do that anymore. And. I don't know anybody who middle class can support a single parent income. If we had to survive off just Anthony's income, we, we wouldn't be able to do it. We couldn't. We'd have to live in a one bedroom mm-hmm. apartment and we would barely scrape by. Yeah. Like it's we just, both, it's just not possible. We both need to work. I was like, dang, if Anthony was making like $200,000 a year, I could stay home. I could. Like, mm-hmm. that would be perfect. But if we both have to work, we are doing everything 50-50. Yeah. Like, I think it's unfair that there are women out there who work all day, a full-time job, and then have to go home and do all the housework and all the child rearing. And you know they exist out there. There are men who refuse to do housework and child rearing who refer to their uh, watching their own dang kids as babysitting when they're their <laughs> own dang kids like it's not babysitting what, like people our age and our generation there's like middle-aged men doing well that. it's not really not our generation middle- no like 30 year old men i i scour am i the asshole posts mm-hmm. i know these men exist and i just think it's ridiculous i can definitely see like our parents generation being like that there are men in their twenties uh, and thirties. Yes, that's, that's insane to me. Because I think like I think it's because they're raised by those men who got away with that. Mm-hmm. Like my my parents were both working. Same. So, so yeah. we I grew up watching that, but I also grew up watching my mom do all of the housework, all of the cooking, all of the child rearing, and I said I'm not looking for anything like my father because I want a partner. My dad did nothing my dad gave us a bath one time and my mom said we both were crying because i would take bath with my little sister because we were like two years apart she's like your dad gave you guys a bath once you both came out hysterically crying she's like he never gave you a bath again you would beg for me to give you a bath and she's like i 100 percent believe your dad would do stuff th- bad on purpose so that we would never ask him to do it again mm-hmm if you attempt to do that, I will kick your butt. Who, me? Yeah. If you ever <laughs> attempt to get out of, like, doing stuff just because you don't want to, I will kick your butt. But there are times when I do stuff and I do it wrong and you get mad at me and you kick me out. I'm I, Like, I like to cook, so I don't want you necessarily to cook. 
We should talk about the movie. Yes, we're, let's get started. Oh okay. God, we're about an hour into this and we barely talked I'm it. sorry, everyone. Okay. okay, anyway, we're back to talking about... Thank you for sticking with us as we talk about everything but <laughs> the movie. Um, all right, uh, released in 2006, the movie was made on a 35 to 40... I'm reading Wikipedia. 35 to $41 million budget. Uh, do you want to guess how much the box office was by the end of its run in theaters? No. You don't want to guess? No, just, just give me. me a number. No, just tell me. $326.7 million. So a uh, pretty big success, I would say. A pretty large success for 20th Century Fox. Um, just as everybody really loved and wanted to read the book, everybody really wanted to watch the movie, apparently. It makes a lot of money. So, uh, gosh, it gets nominated for a couple different Oscars, not best picture, not best writing, but best costume design and best actress for Meryl Streep. She earns an Oscar nomination for this. She doesn't win, but, uh, she definitely gets recognized for it. A uh, little bit of, uh, trivia background stuff. Uh, because of all of the costumes and expensive wardrobe that needed to be in this movie, this became um, the movie that's like almost single-handedly had the most expensive costume design out of any movie ever. Uh, which makes sense because it's a movie about the fashion world and everything. And um, do you know how much like just all a pair of that of, stuff has? Do, you, to, do yeah. you know how much just like a pair of like Prada shoes are? Right. So the uh, character that Meryl Streep plays, Miranda Priestly, is based off of um, Vogue editor Anna Wintour. And her relationship with this movie is a little strange. Like, they never invited her to the premiere. They never really, like, acknowledged her at all. But she didn't really care too much about how you know, the book portrayed her, how the movie portrayed her. Um, she was actually pretty supportive at the, uh, when, when the movie was coming out and, uh, how, how do we want to word this? I guess in saying, well, I think she, I, there's she a just line, was really nonchalant about it. There's a line in the movie where Meryl Streep's character says, I don't care what they write about me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, probably her whole that was probably something she actually believed as like the real person i don't care what they write about me but there have been people close to the situation and close to the person that have said this is a pretty you know spot-on portrayal even though meryl streep didn't play an impression of anna wintour people close to the situation and close to the person have said yeah it's pretty spot-on well there's a moment in the beginning where Miranda Priestley's arriving to Runway, the fashion magazine. Andy's already there for her interview. And uh, Miranda goes into a, a elevator and there's already a person in there. And the person gets out. And it's because Anna Wintour, if you got into a elevator with her, she would just start spewing things out and expected you to write them down. And if you didn't have a notebook... You were screwed. So people would get out of elevators that she walked <laughs> in because they didn't want to have to do that. Yeah. Because she yeah. was like one of those people who like once she, you were in her presence, you were on the clock. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and she expected you to remember everything she said. 
I want to um, give you a little bit of trivia here that I was reading off IMDb because it's kind of interesting. Uh, the original screenplay was developed before the novel was published and had four credited writers and originally read as a spoof of the fashion industry similar to Zoolander. But once the book came out and became a bestseller, they changed everything to be a little bit more, you know, take the fashion industry seriously. And I think that's a um, something they really hammer in in the movie, too, is when Andy gets the job and she's actually called out a number of times for saying, you don't take this seriously. Well, you devalue I, this industry. Well, the part that really got to me, and I know we're not going beat by beat, we're like moving around, but it was like she laughs when um, Miranda Priestley's like going um, through, like having a run through of like outfits for a, a magazine spread. And a girl's like, we have two belts. She's like, but they're so different. And they, she holds up the belts and they're both the same color blue. And to a person who's not knowledgeable in fashion would say those belts look the same. So Andy like laughs and Miranda's like, what's funny? And she's like, well, they look the same. And she's like, you think you're so much better than everyone because you don't partake in this what we do but what you don't know is that two years ago um this designer used cerulean blue and then it then everyone was using cerulean blue until the department store that um started having outfits in cerulean blue till it um, eventually trickled down into secondhand stores where you got your sweater and you don't know that that's blue sweater is because two years ago that was a popular color in the fashion industry you're not exempt from the fashion industry it's just like it was because made for you she's like just because you don't want to participate the sweater that you're wearing now was handpicked by the people in this room mm -hmm. like you can't be exempt from the fashion industry yeah yeah uh i and i think we'll dissect her getting called out a little bit more later um other people that were considered for the role of Miranda Priestly before Meryl was decided upon. Uh, Jennifer Aniston. That wouldn't have worked. Cameron Diaz. That wouldn't have worked. Heather Graham. I don't think that would have Angelina worked. Angelina Jolie. Maybe. Lisa Kudrow. Maybe. Helen Mirum. Yes. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. No. Michelle Pfeiffer. No. I think Pfeiffer might have done an interesting job here. Uh, Julie Roberts. No. Meg Ryan. No. Weird choice. Um... Alicia Silverstone, no. Hillary Swank, no. Naomi Watts. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, gosh, it's... Listen, so this is the Meryl series. I, I gotta... You needed someone who could do... It's Lisa Kudrow in Easy A is an is easy, not... comparable character to... Like, she, the way she played that character is how she would kind of, I think she would play um, Miranda. I think and it still wouldn't have worked cartoonish. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked perfectly because it'd still be kind of like more of a cartoon. So, where I think the way Meryl portrayed it was what, like, any, you could have stuck anyone in that role, but the way Meryl played it is why she got the Oscar nom. So, I told Bree this coming off of watching the movie. Why Meryl is so great in this role is because she plays it very close to the chest. Meryl Streep in this role, I think, borders on cartoon. Like, it's very easy to play this role as cartoonish and big and loud. Like, having this character that is the career-obsessed, 
like asshole boss who is kind of stuck up and is just like the worst possible boss that you can have. It's very easy to play that character, large and cartoonish, like if you put Adam Sandler in that role, he would have been like, goo, and like yelling and everything. But Meryl takes it a little bit uh, in a different direction, and she plays it very toned down. And I think that's what makes the role special, and why a character like Miranda Priestly isn't boring, and why a character like Miranda Priestly is interesting and complex in the way that she delivers her lines and the way that you can spot the nuances of emotion in this character that is supposed to be emotionless. It's very easy to play this role cartoonish, but the way that Meryl plays it is quiet. She doesn't really raise her voice. It's very uh, precise in the diction, precise in how she says her words, how she chooses her words. But then there's moments where you see that little glimmer of vulnerability come out and that little glimmer of emotion. And that's what separates Meryl's portrayal than anybody else that could have played this role. I think Meryl is the only person that would have been able to get that out of this character. Because the screenplay is the screenplay. And... I don't know too much about the director, but actors are given screenplays and they interpret it in the way that they want to interpret it. And then they get the help from the director. The director tells them, I want you to play it this way. But I think Meryl has such a control over this character that I could totally see the director just letting Meryl go and just saying, you play this character the way you interpret the character and we'll go along with that. You know what I mean? So she's phenomenal in this movie uh anyway Anne Hathaway was the ninth choice from the studio but after uh Meryl Streep saw her performance in Brokeback Mountain advocated for Anne Hathaway to be in the role we talked about Anne Hathaway and this is a, a period of time where she's coming off of movies like The Princess Diaries Ella Enchanted I think we talked about how it's frustrating that the portrayal of Andy in this movie is frumpy, like fat. They call her fat multiple times. And well, let, it's, it's, Anne Hathaway is a very con conventionally attractive woman who is very thin. So I talked about there's like several points in this movie which I think wouldn't be as socially acceptable to do now where they kind of make light of like eating disorders and well yeah i mean like, everything ages this is a almost 20 year old movie yeah where it's like uh emily Bond's character talks about how like she hasn't been eating and anytime she feels hungry she just eats a cheese cube and i i wrote down i was like the toxicity of the fashion world it still goes on today we're like we expect women to have these flat stomachs when we have like whole like organs in that area <laughs> and it's like there's always going to be a pouch there but like we're always constantly well, exercising. it's like the way like anime uh, mangakas when they write or draw their uh mangas and they make these women in anime have these like crazy like thin stomachs 
and it's like, like that's that is not how and i'm like people listen, look. listen guy do you know like we have like all of our like you have external organs below your belt but ours are all inside. Mm-hmm. Where are they if you're drawing us with a nu- not even a waist <laughs> to the stomach? Like, I was told as I was going through my like my weight loss journey, like you're always gonna have like a little bit of like a like a your belly is always gonna go out like right there because you have organs there. Mm-hmm. So don't like try to get rid of it because it's not going anywhere because you have whole organs there. Yeah, yeah. I I mentioned to you when we were watching this that Anne Hathaway is in the point of her career where for whatever reason she's getting a lot of roles that are like, you are unattractive, let's make you attractive. <laughs> she's always, I think of like Princess Diaries, I think of like Ella Enchanted, and I think of this movie where she goes and has like a transformation into... The con- uh, uh, how do you make Anne? How do you make Anne Hathaway conventionally attractive? Straighten her hair and put nicer clothes on her. That's literally all they did. That's literally in every movie, and it's like I I am a frizzy haired, curly haired girl. It's what, like why is Anne Hathaway in every of, movie seen as not pretty? What kind of message are you trying to send, girls with curly and frizzy hair? Right. I mean, I got when I was in middle school. I got my hair permanently straightened. It like ruined my curls. Mm-hmm. I would have never done that if, if society didn't push for us to like have straight, like non poofy hair. But also, that was a symptom of the mid to late two thousands, where it was like that was the fashion, that was the look, that was the style, the straightened hair, um, emo rar, rar XD <laughs> look. That was kind of the, fa- the and we talk about the fashion industry in this movie, but that was kind of the fashion of the time. That was the, the style for young women, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know. Over my head. I'm not a fashion so, expert. Let's get in. We kind of already talked about like the beginning. Anne Hathaway, she gets the job at this um, runway magazine as an assist- second assistant to Miranda Priestly. Um, the second assistant does what the first assistant does not do. Well, they establish it as like... You run the errands. You run the errands. I manage the schedule. Yes. Um, And she's using this job as a stepping stone. She wants to be a journalist, but she's not getting any journalistic work. Um, so this is kind of her way to get that. If you work for Miranda Priestley for like a year or two years, you'll be able to work anywhere because people see that you worked for like this really top person. Um, so like she gets this job, she's really excited about it. And, um, her first day on the first day of the job, she's called out of a dead sleep. And it's like, where are you? She's like, well, I'm not supposed to start yet. Miranda needs her coffee. This is how she write this down. Like right away. She's thrown into this world, right? So we know right away, this is not a good work-life balance, like, before she's even on the clock, she's on the clock. Get Armani on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, Armani, get him on the phone. When she gets to work, um, Miranda calls her Emily. Um, Emily's the name of her first assistant. The other woman's name is Emily. And Emily has to explain to Andy, she's going to call you Emily. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I what so... She's told you have to be at the desk at all times. 
If I'm not here, you have to be here at the desk. You don't let the phone go to voicemail. And Emily leaves to go do something for Miranda. And the phone rings. And she takes some, oh, Miranda's busy right now. Can I take a message? And she asks the person on the phone, can you spell Gabbana? And I laughed. I was like, you don't know how to spell Dolce and Gabbana? Like, and Dolce and Gabbana hangs up, obviously. Like, I'm calling Runway and they don't know how to spell Gabbana? Mm-hmm. Get over yourself. I think it's cutthroat. Yeah. The fashion industry sounds like it's very cutthroat and very like you should know your shit or get out and in hathaway's character andy like emily um the the other assistant like doesn't think that she belongs doesn't think she should be here no one believes she should actually be there and um she gets told hey i'm the emily tells her hey i have 20 minutes for lunch when i get back you'll have lunch you only have 15 minutes for lunch which I'm like, 15 minutes? How am I supposed to eat lunch in 15 minutes? But then I think about myself as a teacher and how like... I eat lunch in 15 I minutes can eat, sometimes. I can eat lunch in five minutes. Yeah. I'm like... Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. crazy. And then we get like... We get introduced to Nigel, Stanley Tucci's character. And he kind of like just He's tells... the fashion director. He kind of like meets her down at lunch and tells her like, you don't look good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like... And she's like, she hired me because I, of my, like, my references. She knows what I look like. Like, I'm not going to change myself for her. And. Well, okay. Can we pause for a second? Yeah. And talk about how do we, how, where do we want to go with this? Because this is a wider conversation that we were starting to have yesterday after we watched the movie is. I guess these characters that juxtapose one another, where you have Miranda Priestly, who is, um, I guess, very knowledgeable, you know, about the fashion world and very cutthroat in how she runs, how she acts as a boss, versus Andy, who doesn't give a toot about the fashion industry, doesn't really take the job seriously at all. And Stanley Tucci's character tells her, you very clearly don't give a shit about this job. Well, and like it shows. So well, that, that what are you com- going to do? That comes a little bit later in the, in the movie, like after the whole incident with, she gets la- she laughs at the belt um, and stuff. And it's because she doesn't value their jobs and she's mad that she gets like, is hum, humili- humiliated and mad that Miranda gets mad at her and like it and gives her get- impossible tasks. Yes. And Stanley Tucci just says, girl, like so quit, you quit. And just she's quit. like, I don't want to quit. He's like, then start like caring about your job. And she's like, I do whatever she asked me. I'm trying really hard. He's like, but are you like you work at a fashion magazine and you look like that? Well, and this is where we and- got to talk about Andy's character because I wrote, at this point, she is super unlikable. Do we think that if you have a job that will position you to move to a better place later on in your career, should you conform to that job? Even though it's not really what you want to do, you don't care about it you know, so much, should you conform to that job? Because Stanley Tucci's character says, listen, girl, you want a gold star for doing your homework. And that's just not how the world works. You need to, if you want praise, 
you need to go, go above, above and beyond. beyond. Do you agree with that sort of leader? Well, I'm asking we, two we, different questions. We here. talked about this and I said there's nothing wrong with Miranda Priestley's style of management because that's just Miranda what- Priestley is a character that is under the impression that if you are coming to work for me, you understand my expectations of you. And I'm not going to give you a gold star for doing what I expect you to do. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different in my... The I, way I, I, ta- she I talked shows... about this like with my bosses where like I love the people that I work for. And I do get a lot of praise when I do some good stuff. And it's nice to get that praise. Like my bosses are so good about that stuff and showering us with, with praise when we do a good job. I don't know in my line of work if like it's nice to get praised of and course. i can understand where andy is coming from when she's like i just want an acknowledgement that i'm doing a good job but i also agree with stanley tucci where it's like girl this is your job like unless you're on above and beyond you shouldn't be getting gold star for doing your homework um he's like you clearly don't want to be here so quit or you need to conform and you need to take your job seriously so it's one of these things where it's like I do identify with like the leadership style, but I also am identifying with some stuff that Andy saying, even though Andy is kind of stuck up and I'm not like a big fan of her character. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. So then we see like Andy and Hathaway's character finally kind of like get it. And so she starts to, like, conform to what she's expected to look like. She starts wearing the clothes that she needs to wear. She starts, her hair is styled differently. And she starts to really value her job. There's this really cool, I keep, I always tell Brie, oh, that's a nice lateral tracking shot whenever I see one. But there's cool transitions here and, like, a really cool piece of editing where it's, like, the lateral tracking shot is intercut with her changing outfits every day to show like change of time yes like we are going through multiple well and and that's what the lateral tracking shot is mostly used for is the progression of time uh, or a character running or something so this movie is an interesting it's not i don't think it's reinventing the wheel or anything but it has a cool lateral tracking shot sequence where it is edited around to look like the progression of time and her changing outfits and this is where i can see it getting a bit expensive with costume design too mm, yes. because it's like half a second of her in a new outfit and they must go through like 10 yes um she gets really good at her job um and she gets to meet like famous people this is where she goes um she gets told by Miranda she has to pick up something at this designer's home he's throwing a party and she gets to meet a writer um that she like a journalist she really admires and he like I mean he's hitting on her obviously and she's like I have a boyfriend and I'm like girl does she even tell him yes she does okay I must have missed that she's like I can't like hang out with you I have a boyfriend she leaves but like that guy is still like a connection she has like you the whole point is like working for miranda Priestley. you will meet people and make a lot of like 
business connections so that when you leave, you'll have all these connections to go with. Like, that's the point of working for her. You make business connections. Mm -hmm. But Um, uh, meanwhile, her boyfriend and her friends are getting frustrated, making fun of her almost for this job and how like glued she is to her phone or her peep her beeper or whatever. Um, and her boyfriend is, I'm getting a call from a number. I don't know. You get out of here trying to sell me car insurance or whatever. Anyway, um, like her boyfriend's like, basically you sold out. Like, why are you selling out? This isn't the Andy I know. She doesn't look like, you know, act like it. Friends don't necessarily uh, appreciate her. And this is where I talked to Anthony. I was like, I think I would, if you, because they took her phone out of her hand. And like, if she missed a call from her boss, she would have been fired. She would have been fired. And they were like playing around, like not giving her her phone. I was like, Anthony, I think if you ever did that. I would, I would just like cut, cut off the relationship at that point. But then I put myself in Nate's shoes as the boyfriend. And I say, look, if I knew that you had a job in which it could open, like we talked about this earlier, it can open the door for you to do all these different things, but you have to sell out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, sell out. You ain't selling out. You're buying in, you know? And her boyfriend's like, this isn't the Andy I know. She doesn't dress this way. She doesn't care about fashion. Like, who are you? And I don't know. I If that's the... Can someone If like, that's the change in your lifestyle, like if this was us, and that's the change in your lifestyle that you want to make, as long as it doesn't impede upon like you dislike me or like your affection towards me, then I'm probably cool with it. Like this is how... Brie wants to reimagine her life and this is how the style that she wants to change it good for her change it the way you want as long as like our relationship is like okay and you still like me <laughs> got, I think what these characters lack is like the com- adult communication with each other yes and it's it, intriguing to me how Andy and Nate wouldn't have already had that conversation because I feel like that would be one of the no, first things like we Andy, would talk about. Andy tried to have this conversation with him. It's only going to be a, a year, two years, and it will open so many doors mm-hmm. for me. Like I, this job. But is I have to do like bitch work the entire. Yeah. and she does get. Uh, Miranda's like tries to give her increasingly hard work, right? It's a cha- she gives, it's a challenge. She thing, gives yeah. her the impossible task of, I need. The manuscript. Well, okay, so we're skipping a scene here. Okay. Miranda tells Andy, gives her this opportunity and says, you need to pick up my clothes or whatever and go to my house, drop it off, and then leave this big book that I value and has like all these ideas in it or whatever. Leave it in a certain place. She is advised by the other assistant, Emily Blunt's character, to don't talk to anybody. Don't make eye contact with anybody. Drop your stuff off. Drop this off here. And then get the F out. And instead, when Andy does it, she is played by Miranda's kids and goes up the stairs, which she's not supposed to do, and sees this vulnerable moment of Miranda having an argument with her husband. And thus, she dips out. And the next morning, 
Miranda gives her the impossible task the impossible as task. a way to say like, I know you're not going to be able to do this and this is going to give me a reason to fire you. So she gives her the task of getting the unpublished manuscript for the newest Harry Potter book. Yeah. And she pulls every connection she possibly has and she does the impossible. So Miranda's like, well, I can't fire her because she did what I asked her to do. She's like disappointed in it, but also like impressed. fairly impressed, which is why like Meryl Streep plays that character in that moment so well is because it's the nuances in her performance that as the audience, you can tell that she's like, fuck, I can't fire this lady, but also like, holy moly, she actually got it. And she made copies. <laughs> and then <laughs> like we, the kids already have it. And then we get Emily Blunt's character, Emily. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets sick. And this is like going in, like it's a couple of weeks till the big Paris trip that Emily has been looking forward to for forever. She gets sick. So Anne Hathaway's character, Andy, and her have to team work an event. And they have to know every single person that's invited because Miranda doesn't know their names. So you have to know their names so you can whisper it in her ear who they are as they come up. And like a little blurb about who they are. And it also happens to be Nate's birthday. Mm-hmm. Where they plan to go out and like celebrate him. And she has to work. And she misses the birthday. But she also like saves the day. Like Emily's character forgets somebody's name. But Andy remembers and whispers it into Miranda's ear. So that's kind of when we first get like this look at Andy pulling ahead of Emily as far as like getting being the better assistant than Emily. Um, so but, and, and there's also this you mentioned Nate's birthday and she wants to be done with this party and enough to, and uh, the Miranda party in enough time to make it to Nate's birthday party, which she does not do and she fails at. But here's where I I don't feel sorry for Nate because she wants to get back. It's like she's trying so hard. And there's this point where she's leaving and the, that journalist is coming in. And he's like, if you come back inside, you can meet all these people and maybe you'll get to work for them. And she's like, no, I have a previous commitment to my boyfriend. I have to go. She sacrificed a huge career opportunity to try to try and make it to his birthday. And he didn't even want to hear it from her. He just wants to go to bed. He doesn't want her to explain herself at all. And their relationship kind of like fizzles a little bit. This is like the first huge impact moment. This is another moment where I put myself in the shoes of these characters and I say, okay, if that was us, what would we do? Well, I think you would call me. I think you would have already called me and told me, like, well in advance, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. Instead of I'm gonna try. just no-showing and... No, she said she'd try to get there as soon as she could. Well, but she no-shows and doesn't give an explanation until she actually arrives at back at the apartment. And... I think if this was us, t- especially because least, it's 2022. I would have at least texted you like, hey, I'm yes. stuck at work. I can't, I will not make it. Let's and schedule something for like I a would day have been off. De- I, I, and I don't, I guess it's me that I just don't give a shit enough that I'm like, okay, well, if that's fine. We'll reschedule. Like I'll do it for a day off. Yeah. Because assume like they have weekends. Mm-hmm. 
even though she Miranda does interrupt the weekend. But it's assumed that they there is time for them to like be together. I was like, I can't. We got to reschedule it to so, when I'm not working. We'll reschedule and it will be equally as effective and important. And but the, I guess that's just me guess where I'm like, I'm a little bit more understanding about those things. And it's like I'm like approaching this as like an adult with a job. Like sometimes. Oh, Bree's getting a call. Oh, and it's gone. And it's gone. And it's gone. Who was it? My mom. Oh. Call it back later. Well. We're recording the pod. And then so after this, um Well, okay, so she Andy is struggling with work life balance and again Stanley Tucci's character gives her some pretty sound like solid advice that says where he's like you could either, this, is, this is how you know your work is going well. You either <laughs> it's either you have a social life or you're good at your job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just the industry, right? I think of a lot of people like principals in our line of work. Principals. Yes. You either the principals rarely have families. Mm-hmm. Rarely, especially female principals. I can tell you, um, I had a female principal. Um, she is she's single. And she has no children. And she mm-hmm. is in her mid to late 40s. Yeah. So it's probably... Children, unless adoption happens, probably won't happen at all. She's working on her doctorate. She doesn't have a time for people. And we talked about this when we were watching the movie because... It just reminds me of, like, Anthony and I have talked about we want to, like, pursue like our licensure for administration. And I was like, I would love to be a principal. I just don't think I could do it and be happy with my personal life. Cause we want us to have a family. Mm-hmm. And like, I see the female principals. I see even the female vice principals. They don't have kids. Some of them have partners, but like less than half have partners and maybe one has kids. I think this movie makes a really good point of like, why do we want to demonize the women that are focused on their careers or career obsessed, I guess is what the phrase that they use in the movie. We and don't it, I don't an, think there's anything wrong with we that. We don't bat, bat an eyelash at men who act exactly like Miranda do. Well, like the cutthroatness of Miranda yeah. where it's like you get any major ceo of a business or major player in a business you get like a donald trump or whatever that does the same like leadership tactics or like i guess it's bullying or whatever but you get the same like asshole mentality of anybody that is running a major business and is a male they do the exact same stuff that Miranda's doing, but Miranda is seen as the devil who wears Prada because she's a woman. But I also take a take a little ride with me on the mis- misogynistic way of our society, where male principals tend to be successful and have families. Why is that? Because they have wives mm-hmm. who are taking care of the home. Okay. Whereas you flip it around, why do female principals don't have the families like their male counterparts? It's because the men in their lives 
don't want to take on that role of the wife. I think we've always in our society um, made women who would value their careers more than starting a family. I, I think we've always seen them as the bad guys or girls. And I don't think... And there's nothing wrong with she's that. She's the bad guy. I just think she has a different priority list for... Like, she values her career more than she does her family life. That's not to say she doesn't love her children. She obviously loves her children. She tries to be there for every major thing that they do. She tries to make sure they're provided for. She gets upset when her husband and her are divorcing because that's, we'll get a, there, yeah. that's another father figure that they don't have. And she's like, I just feel bad for my children. She's like, I don't care about me. It's like, I have kids. You know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably that husband's need for attention and he doesn't want to be in the mothering role he doesn't want to do the housework or do like the not that he would have to because i assume she has maids and housekeepers and cooks for her but it's like the unwillingness to be the less successful one in the relationship yes P potentially i i just don't see like there's anything wrong with a woman who says I, I really value my job and I really value my career and I'm going to establish this reputation as somebody that does. Mm -hmm. So we have Anne Hathaway really impressed and uh, Miranda Priestley's like, I want you to come to Paris with me. And she's like, but Emily's supposed, the first assistant does that. That's Emily's job. She's like, yeah, Emily is not like, and then she like manipulates Andy. And Andy she doesn't says, want to do it because she doesn't want to upset she Emily because if, Emily's been doing like dieting, been thinking about this for months. Like she's been so excited. And Miranda's like, well, you can either go or you can be She's like, fired. if you don't go, I will take that as an assumption that you don't value your job. So she, t she goes. Um, well, and then we had this conversation. She ends up telling. Emily gets hit by a car. Blah, it's, it's played for comedy, which is weird. She gets hit by a car, and then they uh, immediately cut to like the hospital, and they play this like goofy music over it. And I, was, I looked at Bri, I was like, why is this being played for comedy? She just like got hit by a car. And it's like Anne Hathaway's character says, like, I'm going to Paris, not you. She's like, I'm so sorry. And Emily's like, you could have said no. And she's like, not really, because like... I would have been fired. And she's like, but we, you don't even care talked, about fashion. Well, I don't know. We talked about this and we both agreed. Uh, she doesn't owe Emily anything. No, Emily was rude to her. They're not friends. They're not friends. Exactly. I was like, and you want to be the best in your career. But when um, Nate finds out that she's going to Paris, they break up. He's he's done with it. He's like, she, well, she keeps saying, I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. And he's and like, you like, always you have a choice. always have a choice. Miranda reiterates that to her as well later on. Yes. But I often think about that sometimes with work where it's like, we don't have a choice. And it's like, yeah, you do have a choice. I, I don't know. I hate when people tell me what to oh, do. No, we have a choice, but like, we don't have a choice at the same time. It's like. I obviously you can I have say yes, but there's good or, I have no, but there's gonna be consequences. I have we have a as teachers, we have our contractual hours. I have the choice to only work during my contractual hours, but there's an expectation of work I need to get done. 
and the work that I need to get done takes longer than my contractual hours. So I have to make the choice. Do I want to do be behind in work and not get stuff done and only work my contractual hours or do I want to get all my stuff done and be a good employee? Mm-hmm. Which I think it's unfair of teachers to be expected to work outside of their contractual hours. Like Anthony and I work all summer and then uh, we work and I work in an hour and a half before school starts and usually an hour and a half after school starts every day. So that's like the seven hour day, seven and a half hour day plus an hour and a half at the front of it and an hour and a half at the end of it. And then I come home and I'm constantly thinking about the kids and like what I'm going to do the next day. And on the weekends I plan for my week. So like you don't have, there's this like belief in our society that teachers like they're lazy. They don't, they work just from eight to three and then they're done and they get the three months off in the summer. And it's like, is it a belief in our society or is it a belief by one political party in the United States? I feel like a lot of people believe that like, oh, you shouldn't complain that you get three months off. And it's like, but we only get paid for the months we work. Or you have an option to take less of a pay monthly. No, we get paid for 10 months of work. We choose to then spread our checks over 12 months. Mm -hmm. Like we're not getting paid for those months that we're not working. We're receiving less pay during the work like during our work months so that we have money during the summer. Yeah. And they're like, well, teachers can get a job in the summer. It's like, but when you work seven days a week, because it really is seven days a week. I don't care what anyone tells you. Teaching, teachers, well, you got to grade. Teachers and, work seven days a week. Mm-hmm. You got to plan. You got to plan. You got to you gotta grade. And that's, week, that's weekend stuff. So we work seven days a week for 10 months of the year. I want two months. We're like, I only work like four days, five days a week planning and stuff for the school year to come around. And then teachers, I do summer school during the summer. I can't do a part-time job and do summer school because Mm -hmm. it's like I, then I'd be working for a month and no one's going to hire you for a month. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I do summer school. I do like district leadership team, like, retreats i'm doing that this week i'm going up for two days staying overnight in a hotel working two days of work um to get ready for our district to get ready for the school year it's like you don't realize like how much actual work and we do professional development hours because we have to get like 220 professional development hours to renew our license every couple years and that costs money like we have to pay to be teachers it's insane, but I digress. Yeah, we're getting off track a bit. Anyway, so they go to Paris. Very exciting time. Like, we're going to a bunch of places in Paris. She's broken up with Nate. She is a single lady. They go to all these events. That journalist hits on her and asks her out on a date. And he's like, oh, but the boyfriend. And she's like, yeah, we're not together. And they kind of, like, hook up. Well, yeah, not kind of. They, they do. They do. <laughs> She does, before they hook up, she kind of goes back to her hotel room to, like, get ready. And she we see Meryl Streep's character. This is the best scene of the she's, movie. She's in tears. This is the best scene of the movie. And I think this is where Meryl earns her Oscar in the scene. She's or like, her Oscar we, nomination. She's, like, she's crying. And she's like, we need to go over the scene. Well, she's not, she's not crying. You can tell she has cried. She has been crying. 
And she's like, we need to go over the seating chart for tomorrow's lunch. Okay. And she's like, okay. And she gets it all out. And she's like, we're going to move Snoop Dogg to my table. Oh, but your table's full. She's like, oh, name of husband. He's not coming. And she's like, oh, so I don't have to pick him up from the airport anymore? And she's like, not unless he's reconsidering his my divorce. And- it's this it's this small moment in Meryl's portrayal of this character where she opens up ever tiny, so slightly. Yeah. And- for a momentary glance of this woman has emotions and this woman like can be vulnerable. For a character that is supposed to be portrayed as this asshole boss who is like almost robotic, emotionless. For Meryl to portray that character ever so nuanced in the vulnerability and the complexity of this character is, I think, where she earns that Oscar nomination and why, to me, this is a really valuable role for her and why I don't, I don't think anybody else could have played it as well. And you get this whole point where, like, she's like, unless my husband, like, reconsiders the divorce. And then, like, Andy, like, apologizes. And Meryl's, Miranda's like, I, it's fine. I'm going to be fine. Like, it's not. It's, it's like. It's like this she's like, and half then, a minute, exp- like, half a minute, I'm going to pour my heart out about this divorce. And then it's immediately back revert to back to yeah. work And this mode. is where we get the part where she's like, I don't really care about my divorce. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what people are going to write about me. The dragon lady scares off another person. She's like, I just care about my kids. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And then she reverts right back to confirming different seating charts and all like that. And then. And, but and Andy tries to push for like do you need me to do anything and it's like and she tries to get that vulnerability out but it immediately goes back to guarding yes because like when you're a successful person you don't want people to get that mm-hmm. you don't want to be seen as vulnerable you don't want that you know like that um so annie goes off on her date she sleeps with that guy and in the she morning talks to nigel who nigel says i'm gonna be leaving runway because i'm getting this new position and like i'm finally gonna have control over my career and, and he's this really is great he's like miranda knows about it already don't I, I didn't leave her in the dark i would never do that she's the one who put me up for the job yes and he's really excited so she goes and sleeps with this guy and then she sees a mock-up for runway magazine and she's like what is this and he's like oh this is what runway is going to look like when this younger like parisian woman takes over and he's like does miranda know about this he's like oh no but they're going to announce it today that this younger woman is going to take over and he's like and i'm going to work and be like her right hand person and so they're basically in a, uh, 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 what do I want to say? Dethrone yeah, Miranda. They're gonna, yeah. They're going to cut her out of the. They're going to cut her out. So then Andy's like running to the hotel to warn uh, Meryl Streep's character, Miranda, about this. Miranda's like, stop bothering me. She's like, hangs up the phone. But I'm then in I was a meeting. Like, where, I told Bree this. I'm like, where does her loyalty lie? Because it's like, she doesn't like Miranda. Why is she going to be so she's quick? A, she to... doesn't want Miranda to be humili- humiliated. Why? Why, though? When Miranda's like this big dick to her. Because you work for someone for so long, you kind of have like a loyalty towards that person. But like, I have a loyalty to. My, I don't know. The if people, I found out the people my, I work for, if I found out my principal was going to be replaced and they didn't tell her, I would tell her. Like I'm not a snake. Anyway, so Miranda's like, 
get away from me. I'm busy. I'm like in a meeting. And then when they're driving the car, that's Andy finally gets like, they're trying to do this, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, it seems Miranda, like she doesn't care. Miranda doesn't care. And then they get to this event and she gets up there. And she's talking about the designer, the one. And they're like, oh, you might know, like, he just got this big offer. There's going to be this big opportunity to work for him. I'd like to introduce the new editor or whatever. And it's supposed to be it's supposed Nigel. Be, it's supposed to be Nigel. But she announces that Parisian woman. And they're all it's, like, it's what a big. The hell? And Nigel kind of just looks and he, he whispers, she'll pay me back for this. And Andy's like, are you sure? And Nigel's like, I have to hope. Mm-hmm. And that's like the first time Andy sees like how cutthroat Miranda really is. Like she would, she would no morals. ruin her yeah. friend's chance at more money and doing what he wants so that she could remain on top at runway. Yeah. And I don't know. Andy is so like appalled by this display. This, this was like. The- that she just like cut Nigel out and that he's her friend she's so appalled by this tactic and the strategy that was at play and i said why why is she so appalled by this it's just business baby it's business that's just, nothing is, personal this, this is, is just business and then we get they're both in the a car um at towards the end of the movie and uh of course Miranda's like you Mar- didn't think I already she's knew like, you don't think I've already knew what was going on and she like kind of explains like her plan her evil her evil plan it's not but, really like, evil. but it's not an it's evil just business it's a business plan whatever unless you like, think business is evil but I don't know I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with what she did I think it is a little shady it's but shady, it's also but like it's nothing personal you didn't do that out of a vendetta you did it because it's business and she's like but you hurt Nigel and she's it's what's like, best for business it's what's best for runway like runway could never exist without me here are all the designers and all the photographers and all the people who would leave runway if I left she's like don't you think I've been like keeping that in my back pocket like of course I have like contracts with these designers that they'll only work with me and i would if i left they would follow wherever i went so runway can't get rid of me and andy kind of is like listening to this and miranda tells her you kind of remind me of me and andy's like what i'm nothing like you and she's like well you did the same thing i did with nigel with emily you took her opportunity and you didn't even think twice about it it's like, what can I do to get ahead? And that's where they arrive at like an event and Miranda's going inside and Andy decides to like turn back. And when Miranda calls her, she tosses her phone in the fountain. It's kind of like, I'm done with this. Andy has this moment where she realizes like, I have morals and my morals are going to eventually get in the way of the business. So, like, I can't do this. And I can't person, be this woman. And that journalist warned her. He said, you're not going to last because you're too nice. You can't be nice and work for Miranda Priestley. You can't. You can't be a good person. Yes. And ultimately, this is a matter of, are you going to be able to make it in this world? Because of who you are. Are you willing to do the underhanded things that are going to seem kind of shady and you're, it's going to seem like a con, but it's just for the business? 
are you going to be able to do that and have that lingering on your conscience? Some people are able to do it. And those are the people that are successful, successful in their respective businesses. But there's also people that are like, I would never be able to morally be okay with myself if I did that. And that's perfectly fine too. To each his own. So then we get like a kind of a time skip where she's, got it she's getting a job at this place and they're like yeah we were at runway for less than a year like what's what's that have to do with anything that's kind of a weird thing and she's like oh well it wasn't for me and he's like well i called for a reference and randa said you were the worst assistant she's biggest disappointment of an assistant she's ever had but we would be a fool not to hire you and so she gets like this the job with this actual newspaper like journalism kind of thing and like her and Nate reconcile he's moving to Boston he got a job in Boston and she's like oh that's awesome like uh I hope you like blah blah I hope you have fun he's like well I'm pretty sure they have like journalism jobs in Boston kind of saying like I expect you to come with me like well we're gonna get back together like blah 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 yeah. And it kind of, that's like a kind of like a happy ending where well, she it, runs it, into. Yeah. It also ends with her running into, not running into, but well, seeing Miranda getting into a car. Getting into a car from across the street and they see each other and Andy waves and, and acknowledgement. And then Miranda gives her like a mean look, but get, gets in the car. But then in private, smiles and laughs and like they both understand you know this had to happen yeah and it sucks that it did happen but it had to happen for each to be um happy i guess with a lot of performances we've talked about this in the past that less is more and you don't necessarily need to tell your audience everything that's going on in this character's brain and how this character would react to things sometimes it's a better performance and it's better communicated to the audience based on the unspoken or the facial expressions that a character makes or how they act towards something. It's not always in delivery of dialogue. And I think that the scene at the end of this movie where they have this like acknowledgement of one another reminded me a lot of the dark Knight rises at the end of the movie when Alfred and Bruce see each other from afar just give the head nod and it's like that unspoken thing where you know these characters are going to be all right they don't need to spell it out for you Mm -hmm. but they both acknowledge each other and they both find that like we we are okay with where we're leaving each other Mm -hmm. and i appreciate that this movie did that because there's subtlety to it you don't always need to say hey i like that girl and i think she's going to be okay but you can tell it on the way that it's played by the acting. Yeah, and I respect that woman, but I just won't want to work with her, with her. Yeah, yeah. So I think this movie plays that very well at the end um, at the end of the flick. So that's it. Yeah, that's The Gosh, Devil Wears Prada like and then talking. a bunch of kikiing between Anthony and I. Yeah, this is what our podcast is. We just, we just have fun. So I must ask Anthony, does this make your list? This is it. This is the movie, I, the Meryl movie that I would put on the list. It is also the Meryl movie I would put on the list. Save the best for second, I guess. I don't know if this is Meryl's best performance she ever gives, but it's really, really good. And like I said earlier, what I appreciate about her performance in this in this role is 
how subtle she plays it, how nuanced and close to the chest she plays it. Because if she did anything more than what she did in this movie, it would have been over the top. And it would have lost the complexity of that character. So I think just because there's really, I don't think there's anything special about the writing per se. I don't think there's really anything special about the way that it's filmed. I would put it on the list single-handedly for Meryl Streep's performance yes. in this movie. This is her best. Even Anne Hathaway's performance, I think, is really good at getting the job done. Emily Blunt's performance is really good for getting what needs to be uh, spoken to the audience, spoken to the audience. So overall, where the movie's strengths are is in the performance by the actors and actresses. Um that would be pretty much single-handedly why I would put this on the list. And it's a good, it was a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts? Final Rudy? thoughts that I think a lot, like if you think The Devil Wears Prada is like strictly a movie for women, you should probably watch it and get over yourself because it's really good. <laughs> it's just about the fashion industry. It's not necessarily about women per se. It's just about the fashion industry. I can give you more movies that are, geared towards women than this movie yeah you know what i mean like i would even say like a valentine's day that we reviewed way back when that's more of a movie that's geared towards women than the devil wears prada yes i would agree i'm glad they changed the direction of the movie to not make it like a satire or a spoof like zoolander was i don't even, this movie was classified on hulu where we watched it as a comedy i don't think it was a i don't comedy. think this is a comedy at all i think this is uh a lighthearted drama. We'll put it that way. It's not really funny. Like I don't go ha And I don't think the comedic beats that they have in the movie play off very well. Like the woman getting hit by a car is played as <laughs> for comedy. I don't think that should have been played for comedy. I think they should have played it a little bit more seriously. But overall, you know, the movie is what it is and it's great. And Meryl's very, very good. Yes. All right. So if it? you want to um, follow us on Instagram, we're review underscore pod. If you would like to email us, it's review podcast one at gmail.com. You could follow Anthony on Twitter. GLDTV1. And if you want to get a hold of me, you're going to have to talk to my assistants. I rarely answer a call myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Steak. Steak. <laughs> get Armani on the phone. Um, Armani, do you want me to call, call, I would call the, the company number because I don't have like any person (laughs) for them. Armani. Armani. Um, that's all. That's all, Brie. That's all. I hope you enjoyed. Um, next week we will be tackling a Adam Sandler movie. Anthony, what Adam Sandler movie are we going to be watching? In keeping in with our theme of Adam Sandler teaching us how to grow up in different ways, we've looked at Adam Sandler teaching us maturity, Adam Sandler teaching us relationship maturity, and now we have to look at Adam Sandler teaching us parental maturity. So we're going to be analyzing and dissecting uh, Adam Sandler's Big Daddy. Exciting! Yes, yes, yes. So join us next week as we continue our Adam Sandler series. Contact us if you need to contact us. I don't... Whatever. Uh, (laughs) And I believe that's going to be it. So... I'm Bree. And I... Oh, yeah. Shoot. I forgot about the exit. 
And that is... My name's Anthony. And this has been the Review Podcast. Now we can skip people out of here. Skip people out of here. The Review Podcast, yeah.